Welcome to the Crescent Podcast. I'm Leanne. This podcast is an extension of my personal philosophy and commitment to continual growth in all areas of life. I firmly believe that optimal health comes from addressing all areas of us as human beings, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Through expert interviews, I hope to both inspire and enable you to create sustained change in your own life. Thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy. Okay, so I know last week I mentioned that we were finishing up or I was finishing up the Money Evox series, but over the last couple days, I had this other kind of negative or limiting pattern that I was starting to become aware of. And I wanted to take that through an Evox session. And I think it still falls under this category of money. And essentially what the pattern that I started to notice was even when there was something that I needed to do that consciously and logically I knew I loved or I enjoyed doing, if it was associated with work, I found myself either putting it off or just like begrudgingly doing it, even though in the very same instance as I was in this place of like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to do this. The, you know, the very next thought in my mind was, that's so weird you're saying that because you actually love to do this thing. So in the very first output, there were two subconscious beliefs that jumped right out at me. And the first one was this limiting belief or this subconscious belief that if you give me money, you will have control over me. And so I don't want to do anything for anyone else that involves them giving me money. The second belief that came up was this idea that work will kill me. And I kid you not, those were the literal words that flashed through my mind is work will kill me. And I see this so often with clients that sometimes the deep, deep seated subconscious belief is one that to our conscious logical brains can seem almost ridiculous, but it's still there being harbored in the subconscious for whatever reason. And that's what we want to start to explore is, first of all, yes, what is the subconscious belief? But what were the circumstances that maybe led the subconscious to creating that belief? I had this really strong sort of sensorial, sensory feeling thinking about work and almost as if it was this like energetic black hole where if you're not careful, work is going to consume you, destroy you, suck away all your energy. And there was such a heaviness there, really this deep, deep fear of that, of if I'm not careful, if I don't keep the brakes on, work is going to consume me and ultimately destroy me. And so, of course, I wanted to explore where did some of these beliefs come from? And the first memory that popped into my mind was a time in my life, I was probably between the ages of four to six, I want to say. And at this point, my parents were divorced. We were living with my mom. She's a single mom. She was a nurse working nights trying to then take care of her kids during the day. And I remember that she had gotten really, really sick. And I need to check in with her on the specifics of this, but it was something really extreme. Like, I think she had been vaginally bleeding straight for over a month. 
and was her health was really in a very, very poor state. And I remember her saying as an adult in, in later in my life, something like, I honestly wasn't sure if I was going to live through that. And I think even as a young child, I was super aware that mom's life is in danger and my little subconscious brain made the connection of that to work. Because mom is working so much, work is killing her. And then I thought of my dad and my stepdad and their relationship to work. And so for my dad, I mentioned a little bit of this in last week's episode, but there was always something. Work for him was really an excuse to not have to connect emotionally and to not have to grow, I think, in any way. Work was always the excuse for why he didn't have the energy to do this, for why he couldn't spend time with us, for why he had to drop us off at a friend's house, not not even a friend's house, for why he had to drop us off at strangers' homes to be looked after because he had to go do something related to work. And so work really was, I think, his scapegoat for all the issues in his life, that was sort of the umbrella he was hiding under. And I saw too that it was something that consumed all of his energy. And then on a lesser extreme of that, I think my stepdad also was using work as a means to not necessarily need to connect so much emotionally. On the flip side of this, he absolutely was able to provide stability, reliability for us, and he would definitely engage with us and play games with us, but there still was a lack of deeper emotional connection there. And work was often the reason he couldn't participate in things. So I do think for him as well, it was a little bit of an escape or a an umbrella that he could safely say, no, no, I can't do that because of work. So I just asked myself, what am I afraid will happen if I work too much or if I enjoy the work I do? And the answer to the first part of that question was, if I work too much, I will die. I will be, or I will be so energetically depleted that I can't enjoy my life anymore. And the answer to the second part of that question, if I start to actually enjoy my work, was work will become all-consuming. If I enjoy it, everything else in my life will fall away and it will. my life will become so one-dimensional. Work is the only thing I do. It's the only thing I think about. And so again, just seeing more and more of these deeply ingrained fears and beliefs around work. The other statement that flashed through my mind was the only way to enjoy life is to not work. (laughs) And maybe so many of us feel that way because work can be draining for so, so many of us. But the imagery that was coming to my mind or the memories was that once my mom and my stepdad were married, I think maybe one or two years into that, she was able to stop working as a nurse and be home with us full time. And I remember kind of witnessing her start to come back to life again and start to be able to engage with us so much more. And so again, maybe my childlike brain looked at that and said, when mom was working, she was exhausted, depleted, sick. She couldn't connect with us. Now that she's not working, 
She can connect. She can play with us more. She's lively. She's energetic. And so making these connections of, I guess, if I want to be lively and energetic and happy and engaged, I can't work. (laughs) And so how have these beliefs started to manifest or show up in my life as patterns? Or how have these beliefs affected the way I go through my days? And one of the biggest ones is just that work so often is a drag and the things I know I actually love and enjoy, there's still this heaviness around them. I still some days need to really talk myself into doing things that I actually love to do. And that sounds so wild, but I so clearly remember, and this happens on such a regular basis, thinking whatever it is, oh, I need to record this week's podcast. And logically in my brain, I know once I sit down in that chair and start doing it, and once it's released, I'm going to be filled with so much joy. But it's just like, oh, that's work. I don't want to do work. And so now that I'm starting to see I don't want to do work. Why? I don't want to do work because it, the, the implication in my mind is if I do work, I'm going to be sick. It's going to take all my energy. And if I do work, I'm not going to be able to enjoy the rest of my life. So that was one really big way that these limiting or subconscious beliefs have been manifesting in my behaviors. And that can be so, that can be so exhausting to be faced with that every single day of here's 10 things I need to do today. And I know that eight out of those 10 things I actually really love, but still even logically knowing how much I enjoy doing them, I still need to hype myself up and take all of this energy to just get myself there doing it. And it feels really good to start to be able to release that. How much energy is going to be freed up? in not needing to hype myself up for things that I actually do love because I have these limiting beliefs keeping me stuck. The other way that I have really, really noticed this show up in my life is when I start to get too busy, I will energetically, subconsciously hit the brakes on my life. And so this might look like me canceling appointments. This might look like me stopping checking my emails for a week. This might look like me not posting on social media for three weeks. Or even, I think, oftentimes manifesting malaise and just this illness feeling, this feeling of fatigue as an excuse so that I don't have to show up in my life. I know I mentioned this in another episode that I recognize this pattern of when big things were happening in my life, when my life was starting to move too quickly and I would get scared and nervous about that, almost immediately, almost like the very next day, I would manifest these feelings of lethargy and exhaustion and fatigue and just apathy, really. And I think that was my subconscious's tool to protect me from these perceived fears. And This was also a tool and a protective mechanism I was using to protect me from this fear of working too much. Because if I get too busy and I start to work too much, then I'm going to get really sick like my mom did. And so I imagined 
going back to those times in my life and actually having a conversation with each of my parents. And with my mom, I just went back to that little tiny home we were living in and picturing her so sick in the bedroom and just telling her, I'm so sorry you're having to go through this. You are literally superwoman. I don't know how she kept us afloat during those years. And that's absolutely something I need to say to her in person as well. And then I also was talking to my younger self at that time and just saying, I'm so sorry this experience was so scary for you. I'm witnessing that. I'm acknowledging that it was okay for you to feel those feelings. But this doesn't need to be your reality. And then just talking with my dad and my stepdad, just kind of saying, you know, work was maybe an escape. Work was maybe a scapegoat for one or both of you. And the beliefs around that I am no longer accepting. I'm giving that back to you. That was your story of what work is. And I'm no longer accepting that story. I'm going to write a new story for myself about what work can be. There was this real sense throughout the session that work, almost as if work was its own entity, its own spirit, and it was an evil spirit, an evil spirit that (laughs) made you sick, it killed people, it separated you from the ones you loved because it took so much of their attention. And I just imagined this work, it was looking like this kind of red, heavy orb of energy. And I just imagined then that red orb of energy becoming this beautiful, flowing, fluid energy that had this kind of purple, orange, yellow colors. And I just saw myself dancing in this energy and flowing and feeling like, wow, actually this can be so light and fluid and joyful and easy. And by the way, that wasn't necessarily a conscious imagery that was coming to me. I wasn't like, okay, I'm going to picture this. And then I pictured it in the output, in one of the outputs. This was the imagery that just spontaneously came up in my mind. And that very, very, very often happens with myself and with clients is there will be some very crystal clear imagery that isn't a memory, but it's kind of their subconscious manifesting their feelings or it's their subconscious projecting their feelings into a visual image in their mind. And at this point in the session, there were so many epiphanies that had come up for me that I was kind of feeling like, oh, I, all right, I've got it. I've cleared everything, but I still hadn't had a releasing pattern. And so, of of course, I was continuing the session and God, the the subconscious is so intuitive and the Evoc technology is so good at really sensing when a true release has happened or not or when there's more that needs to be released. And so as I was kind of sticking, going through the session, there was one more final thing that surfaced and it was this, these beliefs around unworthiness. And I had these memories come up of really, really early childhood. I mean, probably like two to four years old where I think it was sort of pre my parents' divorce and then maybe a little bit after their divorce. But 
essentially my mom was working so much to be totally honest i don't know what my dad was doing but we had to go to childcare a lot and one of the first child cares that we were going to was just an awful place. And as soon as my mom realized it, she got us out of there and found us a new babysitter who was wonderful. But this first child care was just an awful, horrible woman. Um, and we were pretty much just like locked in a room full of other kids for hours on end. And again, thank God, once my mom realized this, she got us out of there ASAP. But the memories, as I was recalling that, the feelings that were surfacing were work. Because mom has to work, she can't be with me and I have to be here. And I think the deeper belief was the perception was that she is choosing work over me. And actually what I'm learning, if you guys follow me on Instagram, you'll know I was sharing on my stories the other day. I'm going through a trauma master series course that is teaching all about the neurobiology of trauma, how trauma is stored in our brain and in our body, what trauma does to our brain, and also just developmental trauma and how it affects us developmentally. But one of the things I recently learned is that when we're a young child, when we're an infant and a little bit in the toddler years, we are in every sense of the word narcissists. Everything we perceive is about us, related to us, because of us. That is just how that infant mind thinks. And so we don't have that higher thinking capability to be able to go, mom dropped me off here because our family's not in a good state financially. And if she doesn't go to work, we're not gonna be able to have food on the table next week. The mind, the infant mind looks at it and goes, mom left me here, I must have done something wrong. I must not be worthy of her attention. And so again, just being able to in this session, let those feelings surface, acknowledge them and then release them and then start to tell the subconscious a new story, which was kind of coming in. I love to do the imagination of the adult you having a conversation with the version of you from the memory. Whatever age you were at in the memory, it's the adult you talking to that version of you. And so I was just having a conversation with my younger self saying, this was not about you. Really explaining it now from that more adult mind of, yeah, mom had to go to work. She couldn't leave you there. She didn't want to leave you there. It had nothing to do with you. There was so much love for you. And then turning more to my dad, my dad in particular, my stepdad a little bit, but just going him working and not connecting with you emotionally didn't have anything to do with you. It was his own trauma, his own stuff that was keeping him from doing it. It wasn't because you didn't deserve his love. It wasn't because you didn't deserve connection with him. And then I made a promise to that version of myself and that promise was I will always protect you you will always come first before work and what that really means in a more practical sense of it is right because that inner version of myself that subconscious self has these fears that if I'm not protected from work, I'm going to get sick, potentially even die. And also, I'm worried that work will consume me. Even if I do enjoy it, I'm afraid to let myself enjoy it 
because if I do, I might get completely consumed by it and the rest of my life will just fall away. The friendships, all the other things I enjoy and I'll just become so one dimensional. And so I just was telling that younger version of myself, first of all, if you start to get sick, I will do what is necessary to help you heal. Maybe it's taking a day off work. Maybe it's prioritizing doctor's appointments. Even in the middle of a workday, I will block off my scheduling so that I can go see my acupuncturist, see my doctor, see my therapist, whatever those things are. And just kind of telling myself and making that promise to myself that your health comes first. I will never let work make you sick. I will never let work kill you. I will protect you from that. And after that is when I had a releasing pattern. One of the things I want to add on to the end of this is this is something that I'm starting to notice within myself and within others is yes, of course, we want to hopefully develop relationships with our family, with friends, with our partner that are nurturing and safe. Oftentimes though, exactly what we are craving from others is also what we're craving from ourself. I wanted to be protected. I want my partner to set boundaries. I want my partner to see me and hear me. And the question that I love to pose to clients and to myself is, but are you doing those things for yourself? And it doesn't mean we shouldn't also expect it from others. It just means that we need to also, whatever we're hoping for from others, we need to also make sure we're doing it for ourselves. So often I think we we break trust with ourselves. We neglect ourselves. And there is so much healing I think that can occur when we start to rebuild that trust and safety between, between ourselves. I also think it's incredibly empowering because when we're in the sole position of I'm needing love, I'm needing affection, I'm needing safety and protection, and I'm only looking for it externally, the underlying assumption is that those things can only come from an external source. I can't give that to myself. And that is a very disempowering notion of, I don't have any autonomy here. I am dependent on those around me. That is, in a very real sense, the situation when we're children. We are so dependent on our caregivers for love and affection, authenticity, safety, protection. And I think so many of us, myself included, we continue to stay in that disempowered childlike state of these are things I can only get externally. And so I want to start to foster within myself, within you, within clients, this sense of absolutely we want to improve our relationships so that they are safe, reciprocal, (laughs) reciprocal relationships where there's love and safety, but also you can give yourself all those things as well. You can give yourself safety. You can set boundaries with yourself. You can protect yourself. You can give yourself love. You can give yourself a listening ear. You can give yourself 
eyes that see you truly, a space to be truly authentically yourself. And so often this can look like just tuning in. What is my soul yearning for? Is my is my soul yearning for a walk outside in the sunshine? And how many days has have you felt that urge to go walk out in the sunshine, but you ignored it and you bat it away? And can we start to, when those urges come up, almost look at it like that inner child saying like, hey, to your adult self, I'd love to go on a walk. I wanna connect with you outside. And every time we bat that away, it's, it's literally like we are ignoring that little child. And I think looking at it sometimes from that perspective can be really, really helpful. Another thing that I was just thinking about recently is in tandem with this, is this idea of caring for ourselves. So often we, we struggle with setting boundaries with other people and we fail to realize that we also don't have boundaries with ourselves, or we're not really truly caring for ourselves. An example of this might be, let's say, <laughs> this is so simple and silly, but not brushing our teeth every day. Next time you, if this is like a recurring theme for you, right? Maybe, and for a lot of people, I imagine it is. Maybe you, for me, it was for years, even in my adult life, it was like such a struggle to get myself to brush my teeth. And so often I just wouldn't. And now, thankfully, the last few years, that pattern has gotten much, much better. And I regularly brush my teeth. But the imagery that was coming to my mind with that was, it's like that two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old version of myself saying like, hey, to the adult version, I, I need to brush my teeth. But they don't necessarily have the autonomy to do it. They need you to help them with it. And instead, the adult me is going, ah, I'm too tired to help you. I'm going to bed. And when I have that imagery come to mind, it honestly breaks my heart to think about that and to think that I did that to myself in so many different ways and for so many years, whether it was brushing my teeth or other personal care things like washing my hair regularly, moving my body, drinking enough water. (laughs) I mean, imagine again, like let's say you struggle with drinking enough water. The next time that you think I should go drink some water and your first thought is, that's too much energy. Picture a little kid version of you next to you saying, hey, I'm so thirsty. I really need you to get me a glass of water. How would you respond to that person? Would you say, I'm just too tired. I don't want to get off the couch. I'm sorry, you're going to go without water today. Probably not. (laughs) So I think for some, that might be a helpful analogy for them to start to look at these deeper yearnings in yourself as that inner child that is wanting to be cared for. And can I start to give that to myself? I know just from my own experience, giving myself the things that I was craving so deeply from others, first of all, made me feel so much safer. It made me feel seen. It made me feel heard. It made me feel joyful. And what I also noticed in that is if I was, let's say I was craving to be seen by others, when I saw and acknowledged myself and my feelings the need to get those things externally from others was dramatically reduced. 
And again, this doesn't mean that we should just stop wanting affection and love and care from others. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think oftentimes this can look like for many people almost this intense desperation, like, please, I need your love. I need your affection. And sometimes that might might even manifest in patterns of over-inserting yourselves in people's life or over-neediness. And maybe you find that you're regularly pushing people away because of these patterns, because you're so desperate for that, whatever it is from other people, that you're clinging to them so desperately. And then they themselves are feeling unsafe and, and they need to step back to protect themselves from that. And so I'll challenge you if that sounds like you or that's resonating a little bit on any capacity, if you can start to tune in with whatever that thing is, I posted this on Instagram the other day, whatever it is that you're thinking to yourself, oh, I just wish I could find a friend who blank, or I just wish I could find a partner who blank, whatever that fill in for the blank is, ask yourself, am I doing this for myself? And if the answer is no, seeing how you can start to, in very simple ways, showing up for yourself in that way on a daily basis. And if you do, I would love to hear what that looks like for you and how that feels as you start to give yourself those things on a regular basis. That might sound really abstract. And so, for example, if you're like, maybe if you're feeling, I just wish... I had a friend or a partner who would really listen to me. I always feel like no one wants to hear what I have to say. Well, do you listen to what you have to say? And a practical way that you might be able to do this for yourself is maybe go sit outside for 10 minutes or maybe go on a 10 minute walk without music, without a podcast and almost take on that listener self. What Hey, Leanne, what do you have to say? What are you feeling today? And you can kind of just imagine almost two, the, those two versions of yourself, the, the, one, the, the version of yourself, excuse me, that needs to speak, and then the version of you that's being the listener. And just let yourself say everything that you're wanting to say. It might be out loud or it might be in your head, but it's like you are intentionally creating space to listen to the thoughts and the feelings that are in your heart. I'll give another example of this just to try and make it a little clearer and then I'll close it out. If you're thinking, I just wish I had a partner who would take care of me. So the very next question is, do I take care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually? And if not, how can I start to care for myself better? How can I start to take care of myself? Some really simple ways, some simple, simple things might look like getting my daily amount of water. It might look like shifting your diet a little bit to really eat things that nourish you. It might look like moving your body a little bit more throughout the day so that there's less stagnancy. It might look like getting 20 minutes of sunshine a day so that your hormones can start rebalancing. It might look like a 10 minute walk with yourself, 10 minutes of meditation. It might look like taking yourself to the beach because you've been craving that. So these, I hope, are a little bit more practical examples that can get you thinking about this and hopefully able to start 
showing up for yourself in all the ways you're wanting others to show up for you. And what I've noticed is when we start to show up for ourselves and give ourselves the things we're craving and needing, yes, again, we won't need them so much from others, but also it might be a lot easier to ask for those things from others and or set boundaries with others. So I hope that was understandable. I hope that was helpful, expansive even. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much to be able to see the downloads each week of how many of you are listening. I was looking at my podcast statistics just this week and noticed that I'm just about to pass 40,000 all-time downloads. And so that's, that's a really significant number and am also about to surpass 20,000 unique listeners. And what that means is 20,000 individual people have tuned into this show, which is, uh, for me at least, almost mind-blowing. And I know there are podcasts out there that have millions and millions of downloads. I'm not, it's not that important to me, but to be able to see that almost 20,000 people have tuned into this show and hopefully found value in it is so inspiring and fulfilling. So again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing. If you have shared this podcast with others and I just hope to continue to bring so much value and expansion to your lives. 